0: If you've got a Bible, if you could turn it to Luke chapter 8. We're going to be reading from verses 40 to 56. And while you're doing that, let me just tell you a little bit about me. So I'm married to Ellie, who was up here just a moment ago. We live in Newcastle. We've lived there for about five months. We previously... Prior to that, we were in York for six years at a church called St. Michael Belfry in the city centre. And we've moved to Newcastle to plant a church in partnership with New Wine, the Diocese of Newcastle um, and the Belfry, which is just so exciting. So we moved in January. There's a team of about 30 moving from York to join us, which is amazing. We're just amazed at the sacrifice and the obedience of... Um, some people have been obedient to what God's calling them to do. Uh, Moved 90 miles north to Newcastle from York's amazing. We launch in October, so please do pray for us. We had our first service, like our first like, soft launch last Sunday evening. Seems like a lot longer than that ago. Um, and we didn't know what to expect, to be honest. We were thinking maybe 20 or 30 might turn up, and about 170 came. Um, and it was a great time. Oh, Pentecost helped. It um, felt like the birth of the... Um, St. Thomas's Newcastle, kind of you know good to coincide with Pentecost Sunday, um, and we're just so excited about all that God is going to do there. Newcastle's a huge city, so much potential, hundreds of thousands of people in, in that city who don't go to church. There's 70,000 university students that study literally within yards of our church building, and hardly any of them are going to church at all. and so we're praying for Jesus to do some amazing, amazing things there. Right by now, hopefully you found Luke chapter eight. Um, verses 40 to 56. If you've got one of the church Bibles, it's on page 1038. Verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him. For they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, A girl of about 12 was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but nobody could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. When Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jairus said to Jesus, Jesus said to Jairus even, just checking you're awake, (laughs) don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Amen. Well, as I said earlier, it's great to be with you tonight, and it's great to be with you on Father's Day. And when Paul asked me to speak, I was thinking about what passage I could possibly speak from, and this just immediately sprung to mind. We've got Jairus, who's a dad who's just desperate for his daughter to be in the presence of Jesus so that she can be well. And we've got the only person um, in the Gospels that Jesus ever calls daughter. And so I thought for all kinds of reasons, this would be a great thing for us to look at on, on Father's Day today. Now what I really want us to get from this passage tonight is that all of us are invited into the presence of Jesus to be filled with the power of the Spirit and to step into fullness for all that he has for us. And you may be here at church tonight and think that's not for me, I'm not good enough. You may be sat here tonight and think I'm not fixed enough. Well it's Not about you. It's about the person who's inviting you, and the person that's inviting you is none other than Jesus Christ, God Himself. Ellie and I have been married for seven years now, and just a year into our marriage, I received the most extraordinary invitation that I think I've ever received in in my life, apart from to follow Jesus. And um, when we were we were living in Cambridge at the time, I was studying to be a vicar at Ridley Hall um, in Cambridge. And the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge were making their first official visit after their wedding to Cambridge to be unveiled as the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge. And so four people from every college at the university got an invite to a drinks reception with the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, which was an amazing thing. So through my letterbox one day came a letter from Buckingham Palace inviting me to this this drinks reception with the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge. And it was an amazing invitation to receive. And I obviously RSVP'd and said, yes, I would absolutely be going. And I can remember the day when this, um, the day, you know, I was due to meet the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge. And, and we live pretty central in Cambridge, but the whole city was in lockdown. There were snipers on university building roofs. There was police checkpoints like throughout the city. I think I went about three, went, went through about three just to get to the Senate House where we were having this drinks reception. And at every single moment, every single checkpoint, I checked my bag, the thing that got me through wasn't the fact that I was Ben Doolin. It had nothing to do with my, what I'd achieved in my life or hadn't achieved. It was nothing to do with how good I was. It was all because I could say on that day, I'm with the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge. They have invited me, and so I get to be with them. Now, Will and Kate, as I now know them... Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're absolutely lovely we're like this now and, um, but being in their presence had nothing to do with me I can remember actually after I left the drinks reception I went home to, to Ellie and I said to Ellie Ellie Kate is definitely pregnant and uh, four weeks later they announced that they were expecting their first child and uh, that was the birth of my amazing prophetic gift <laughs> so if you want a word later come and see me It's nothing to do with us. It's all to do with the person that has issued us the invitation. And all of us tonight are invited to step into the things of Jesus a little bit more. Now, as followers of Jesus, we live in the reality of this invite every single day to be in the presence of God and to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, the reality of living in this invitation is not just for us as individuals, it's for our churches, but it's also for the whole nation. You know, we believe, we're part of the New Wine family here at All Saints, local churches changing nations. Now, for nations to be changed, we need the church to be renewed. For the church to be renewed, we need all of us as individuals to be on fire and full of the Holy Spirit. And this is for all of us, regardless of where God has called us. So wherever you are, you are in full-time Christian ministry. This isn't just about vicars or people with bits of plastic around their neck or people who work on church staff teams doing this stuff. This is for all of us. We had a saying at our last church in York, why stoop to be a vicar if God's called you to be a teacher? Why stoop to be a prime minister if God's called you into retail or into the entertainment industry or into education or science or whatever it may be? All of us are carriers of the presence of God, the things of the Spirit, wherever it is that he has called us. The only thing that's secular is sin. Everything else is spiritual. Everything else is up for grabs and to be used by God for his glory. Now, the way in which the local church is going to see the nation changed is by us all having this kingdom theology, that wherever it is that we go, we carry the presence of God. That's how we'll see the nation changed. John Wimber, who's been very influential for us um, and and for the New Wine family, he once said this in in a sermon, whatever God wants to give through us, he first has to do to us. Whatever God wants to give through us, he first has to do to us. And so we're praying tonight as churches up and down the land are, for the nation to be changed, recognizing that we ourselves need to carry that change in and through us. So let's have a look at these verses together and see what Jesus might be saying to us tonight. (laughs) Let's look at verses 40 to 42 with me. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. (laughs) Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. Now, Jairus, Luke tells us, was a synagogue leader. He was a very well-respected man. He would, would have been a leader in his city. In fact, he would have been one of the top leaders. Now all of this could have led to Jairus having a fairly puffed up ego and a fairly big head. Everybody knew who Jairus was. Everybody respected him. But despite this his status, he has a real desperate need in his life. He has a real desperate need in his personal life. The the lesson that we learn from Jairus is that his position didn't stop him from coming and throwing himself at the feet of Jesus. He didn't let pride get in the way. Now, I don't know about you, but so often for me, pride can get in the way of my relationship with Jesus. Even if I don't say it, I live like it. I live like I don't need Jesus sometimes, that I can do it all by myself. Now, Jairus did not behave like that. In fact, Jairus was so desperate that he fell, he literally threw himself at Jesus' feet. Now, grown men in first century Palestine, Israel, would never have done this. Men of influence, men who were leaders, people of significance, they wouldn't run. They'd always wear long robes, so they wouldn't show any bit of their leg. They'd never be seen to be, you know, appearing to be in a hurry. But Jairus is absolutely desperate, and we see this coming through this passage. And he just froze himself at Jesus' feet. He was prepared to risk everything, his reputation, he was prepared to look ridiculous in front of Jesus and all of these people that he was supposed to be leading in order to be in the presence of Jesus. It reminds me a little bit of, um, you know, King David writing, um, I'll become even more undignified than this. What are, we re- what are we willing to risk in order to be in the presence of Jesus Christ? Now, Jairus was so desperate for Jesus' presence, desperate for Jesus' presence with his daughter, that he fell at Jesus' feet and asked Jesus to come to his house. Now, for those of us that have some kind of father, fatherly role on this Father's Day, um, Ellie and I don't have children yet, but we're godparents to quite a few children around the place, and my main prayer for all of them. In fact, my, my prayer for all of them is that they'd know what it means to be a child of God, that they know what it means to grow up in the things of the Spirit and in the presence of God. This is the best thing that we can pray for those who are in our care. It's not about throwing money or extravagant gifts or pressuring people to do well at school or university. The main thing that we can pray for people is that they'd grow up in the things of God. We can forget everything else. All that mattered to Jairus, and we don't know whether it's desperation that drove him to this, but all that matters to Jairus at this moment is that he needs a touch from Jesus. He needs to be in his presence. This raises a question for us, doesn't it? Are we desperate for the presence of God? Are we that desperate for the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit? I can remember when I was younger, I became a Christian about age 14, 15 on an alpha course in in a church called Beverly Minster, which was a wonderful place to become a Christian in. But I didn't really encounter the things of the Spirit until I went to university and to Sheffield and attended an amazing church called St. Thomas Crook's. And I can remember in my first year, um, going going to this church for the the first time and and it ended up becoming home for us and we got married there. But in my first year, you know, every single Sunday they'd talk about the Holy Spirit and every single Sunday I'd want to go up to the front for ministry time and pray pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the first few weeks I was there, I'd noticed that all around me people were falling on the floor, you know, like being slain in the spirits, whatever language you use. And I'd be at the front, and somebody would fall over that way, and so I'd go over here. (laughs) And um, I'd pray, you know, for the Holy Spirit to, you know, fill me. And then where where I'd just been standing, someone else fell over there, so I'd go (laughs) back. I was just so desperate to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The, The danger for all of us... I was still a relative new, relatively new Christian there. The danger for all of us is that these things become too familiar and we start to begin to rely on our own strength. Now, I don't think it's necessary places like at churches like St. Thomas Crooks or at New Wine United or here on a Sunday evening that um, God is more present. I don't believe that. But I believe that there's something about us gathering together and us being intentional about focusing on the things of Jesus that makes us more present that makes us more aware of the things of God. Now, that's a problem for me. Only in that, because of the things that I've just said, we should be desperate for the presence of Jesus wherever we are. We should be as full in the workplace as we are here in church, as we're bringing up our children as we are here in church. We should be desperate for Jesus wherever we are. Now, when I was following what I thought was the Holy Spirit around, trying to get a little bit um, more of him... um, I was probably just after the power and the miracles and the man, all of those kinds of things. And, and that isn't the way to do it. Another quote that's been really influential for me, and again, I think the whole new wine family is this John Wimber quote, "We do not seek the power of God. We seek His presence. His power, healing, gifts and everything that we need is found in His presence." His presence is enough. Ellie and I are implanting this church. We don't launch until October and we haven't got a clue what's going to happen. Um, as I've said, the team are making huge sacrifices, moving most of them from York to Newcastle. And we keep saying to them, even if nobody comes, even if nothing happens, even if when we do our first Alpha course, nobody turns up, Jesus is enough. And if we've been obedient to his call, that's enough. It's all about Jesus. Now, the reason that this John Wimber quote is true is because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's healing in the presence of Jesus. There's power in the presence of Jesus. There's all kinds of things that we need in the presence of Jesus, but we don't go after those things. We just go after his presence. Now for some of us as I'm talking about Jairus, we may be aware of some situations in our life that are just crippling us with fear. Some situations in our own personal lives where we're just so desperate for a touch from Jesus. Now are we prepared to swallow our pride and be a little bit like Jairus and risk everything, risk looking ridiculous in front of people just to get at the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you. Are we prepared to swallow our pride for the sake of the things of God? Verse 42 and 43, Jesus was on his way and the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman who was there had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. So, Jesus was on his way to Jairus's home, and the crowds were everywhere. Such was the attraction of, of, of Jesus. And a woman who, had, who was in this crowd had been subject to bleeding and had done everything that she possibly could to be healed, but nothing had worked. You know, Luke tells us that she'd been um, subject to bleeding, which is basically a polite way of saying that she had an uncontrollable menstrual flow. And this meant that not only was she sick, possibly in pain, but she was unable to have children. She was ceremonially unclean, which meant that she wasn't allowed to be touched. She couldn't go to public worship. She couldn't go to the synagogue. She shouldn't really be in public or in crowds. And so she's in a pretty desperate situation. Now, she'd been like this for 12 years. Now, imagine having a problem that ostracized you from your family, from your community, from people that should be caring for you. And that's been going on for 12 years. Imagine having no one touched you in 12 years. No one hugged you. No one having had a hand laid on your shoulder and prayed for you. Nobody kissed you. Nobody lived with you. Imagine the desperation and the loneliness that this woman must be feeling. And she's desperate because nobody could heal her. She's poor. She's hopeless. She's probably spent any little money that she had on being healed, but nothing had happened. She's come completely to the end of her tether. Now, to top all of this off, we don't even know her name. All we're told by Luke is that a woman came to Jesus. Now, in contrast to Jairus, who everybody knows, we don't even know this woman's name. Jairus is significant. She apparently is insignificant. No one respected her. Now I think Luke gives us these details on purpose because I think he's contrasting Jairus and the situation with Jairus's daughter with the woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years. So here's Jairus whose daughter was 12. This woman has been bleeding for subject to bleeding for 12 years. Jairus is the ruler of the synagogue. This woman isn't even allowed in the synagogue. Jairus has a name that everybody knows. We don't even know this woman's name. He was respected. She was rejected. And yet, despite their apparent contrasting situations, they have one thing in common. They both have a desperate need for Jesus Christ And his presence. Now, what Luke is telling us through this is this that nobody is too sinful, nobody's too messed up, nobody's too insignificant, nobody has an opinion too low of themselves to not be in the company of Jesus and to be part of the kingdom that he is building. And at the very same time, no one is too good, no one is too religious, no one's too respected, no one is too wealthy. To not need Jesus as well. Now, some people don't don't come to Jesus because they don't think that they are good enough. I can remember one of, um, just before my granddad died, which was about four, four and a half years ago now, um, he had um, Parkinson's disease. And just a few months before he died, Ellie and I went to stay with him and my um, grandmother in, in Cambridge. And we were about to go to bed one night. And he said to me, um, just before we're going upstairs to bed, he said, Ben, I'm really scared of dying. And I said, why is that? And he said, I don't know if I've done enough to earn my place in heaven. Now, this is somebody who'd been going to church for all of his life. He'd been a church warden. He'd been the church treasurer. He'd been in the choir. He'd led the choir. He'd been on the PCC multiple times he read the Bible most weeks in church. And after 80-something years, he still didn't know the gospel. He still thought that he had to earn his way into God's good books. He still thought that he had to earn his way to be acceptable enough to God. He didn't think that he was good enough. That is not the message of Jesus. That is not the gospel. I can remember speaking to um, a a young person that Ellie and I were um, investing in just relatively recently, and she's always struggled with the concept of being loved by God, and the reason is that she's never, she said to me, she'd never been told by anybody that she was loved. She didn't grow up hearing from her parents that they loved her. She didn't grow up hearing from a grandfather or grand... Nobody had told her that they loved her, and so she found this really difficult to get her head around. And as a result of that, she never thought that she was good enough. If you don't think that you're good enough for Jesus, that's the point. None of us are. But some people, like Jairus, think that they're too good, everything is already sorted. Now, if that's you. You think that religion can, you know, somehow you're fine because of the things that you've accomplished or the things that you've done. What I'd say to you tonight is you just need to get over it and come. Religious people need Jesus too. Now some of us might find ourselves resonating with one, both, or either of these characters. The invitation from Jesus tonight is, is clear. come to him. Be in his presence. He alone is enough. Now look at verses 46 to 48 with me. Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she'd been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. So notice that Jesus says, somebody touched me. Now lots of people think that they're in touch with Jesus, but the key here is the woman's intention. You do not get the power of God just by coming to church. Now we need to remind ourselves of this all of the time. Coming to church doesn't necessarily guarantee that you're a Christian. It doesn't mean that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. What we see from this woman and from Jairus is that you get the power of God, his presence, just by throwing yourself at his feet and admitting that you can't do anything without him. By worshiping Jesus, by admitting that you need him, by admitting that you can't do life without him. Coming to church is important. It's my favorite thing to do. You can't do life alone. But we need more than that. We need to trust Jesus with absolutely Everything. Seeing that she could not go unnoticed, this woman came trembling and fell at his feet. And then Luke tells us, in the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Now put yourself in this woman's shoes. For at least 12 years, never been loved, never been touched never been spoken to properly. And in this moment, as she's touched Jesus and she's come trembling towards him here in verse 47, she's probably thinking, will he reject me? Will Jesus reject me like everybody else? Does he think that I've made him unclean like everybody else I've ever touched has also fought? She's probably thinking in this moment, what on earth have I done? He will never accept me, nobody else has, so why should he? And in this one moment, as she tells everybody who's present why she's touched him, all of her life has been exposed. Her shame, her uncleanliness, her sickness, her whole life has been exposed in front of Jesus and everybody. And here's the beauty of the gospel. Despite Everything that's wrong with her, Jesus heals her. The woman with no family, no life, no friends, Jesus heals her. And in that one moment, all the lies that she's been thinking about herself, that she's not good enough, that she's unclean, that she could never be in the presence of somebody like Jesus, in that one moment, all of those lies are broken down. All of those lies disappear In one moment, as Jesus sees the depth, the very bottom of her of her mess and her illness and all of the stuff that she's been crying out, carrying, and yet Jesus heals her and and accepts her anyway. Now we need to remember some lessons from this woman, and like this woman ends up doing, I believe, stand on the truth of who God says we are. We are not defined by our situation. We are not defined by sickness. We are not defined by the things that we may have done that we shouldn't have done. We're not defined by the things that we should have said that we haven't said. We're defined only by the promises and the word of God. We are forgiven, adopted, set free, and only Jesus can do it. Now in this one moment, this woman becomes part of Jesus' kingdom. The woman who nobody even knows her name, certainly Luke didn't, in that moment is known by the king of the universe, and she knows that she is known. Now, this woman is the only person in the Gospels that Jesus calls daughter. And notice the comparison again with Jairus' story Jairus' daughter, of course, had a father. It was Jairus. This woman has no father. And yet Jesus uses this intimate term for her. This is the gospel. Everything of us exposed in the presence of Jesus. And yet he welcomes us. He invites us into new life. He invites us into his presence and to carry the things of his presence wherever we go. Tim Keller puts it like this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. And yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Now, if this is true... If Luke 8 is true, and this quote from Keller is true, notice that it says something beautifully radical about the kind of community that Jesus Christ is building. He was building then and still builds today. It does not matter how moral you've been in the past or how immoral. It doesn't matter how many degrees you've got. It doesn't matter how attractive you feel. It doesn't matter how clever you are. It doesn't matter whether you're male or female, rich or poor, Jesus is building his church, and it's a totally unique kind of community. If there's one thing that we can do as the church at the moment in our nation, as a kind of a prophetic act, it's to behave as as if this is really true. That everybody who's repented of their sin, everybody who's following Jesus is welcome, and is adopted as a son and daughter of the king. Never in my lifetime has the nation been so divided. The line down the middle of the nation, whether you both voted Brexit or remain, is unbelievably strong. Now, in this church building tonight, there's probably people from all kinds of different political sides of the, of the spectrum. The most prophetic thing that we can do as a church at the moment to hold out hope and unity to the nation is to love each other anyway. Because we're, we've all been saved by Jesus. None of us could have done it by ourselves. And so we're part of this amazing community that's called family. And we love one another and recognize that this is true. And when we do that, there's nowhere else like it on earth. Now, notice, just very briefly at the end of this passage, that Jairus' daughter was also healed. Now, imagine, we've imagined being this, um, the woman who was healed. Imagine being Jairus' daughter. Well, I I can't imagine being dead, but, you know, picture the scene. This little girl, when she woke up, I think again is another beautiful picture of what everyone who trusts in Jesus has to look forward to. When she woke up, the first voice she heard, Jesus. The first person that she saw, Jesus. The first person to touch her, Jesus. Did she earn it? No, she did nothing to earn it. Like grace always is, it was a free, undeserved, unmerited gift. And the same is true for us today. All of us are invited into the things of the Spirit. All of us are invited to play our part in local churches changing nations. All of us are invited into this adventure, but it's not about anything that we've done. It's just because Jesus has invited you. And as we welcome the presence of God in just a moment and pray, come Holy Spirit. We're praying just for his presence and trusting that in his presence there's power, there's gifts, there's healing, there's words of knowledge, and there's being filled so that we can be the full-time Christian missionaries, the full-time Christian ministers that all of us have been called to be wherever it is that we serve.